parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Thanks, Caitlin. My name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you. Again, welcome to those of you who are online. I don't want to cause problems this morning in families, um, but I do want to start and say that um, I, I think this is true, that there are two types of furniture, okay? I know this might lead to some of you having discussions afterwards. There, there are two types of furniture that most of us have in our, our homes, and I like both, okay? But there's what I'm going to call fake furniture, and there's what I'm going to call real furniture. And, and the primary difference is that of material, right? When I, when I talk about fake furniture, some of you get this already. Fake sounds a lot like Ikea, right? It's, it's stuff that's veneer covered, okay? It's, it's press board or it's plywood or MDF, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's inside is one thing, but then it just gets a veneer, a laminate, a covering of some sort uh, on the outside, okay? And, and so it's different there. What I'm calling real furniture is solid wood all the way through. Okay, it's, it's the solid stuff all the way through. Now, in terms of looks, honestly, for the most part, I think, I think the fake stuff, I think veneer furniture looks good, okay? They can do amazing things with it. I'll, I'll give you that real looks a little better, especially if you get closer. Cost is one of the places where there's a big difference, right? Because, again, compared to the other, at least, fake furniture is not expensive, it is, just doesn't cost very much. You can get it so much cheaper if you buy real stuff. It is very, very, very expensive. If it's not just oak for an eighth of an inch, but it's oak all the way through, that's going to cost you a lot more money. The second place differences are big, though, is, is quality, right, in terms of quality. For the, the fake stuff, the, the quality is, is not very high. It's fairly low, in fact. Uh, you, you know this if you have some of this furniture in your home. Uh, it's, it's great just to look at. It's great as long as you don't put pressure on it, right? But if you get too close and really examine it, or if you put too much weight on it, or if you set a glass on it and the water condenses and then it gets on there and it starts to bubble, that's a problem. Or if you, you hit it and you chip it, then you start to see the press board underneath, right? And, and that's where it starts to come out because the outside is nice, but the inside is cheap. It's part of the reason the whole thing is cheap. Again, with, quali- with, with real wood, it, it's high quality because the inside is the same as the outside. All right. You can go home and discuss what kind of furniture you should buy in your house. All right? We have both. I love both. I, we could not have, I mean, we wouldn't have enough chairs for people if we only had to buy real. So if I like fake furniture, okay? It's fine with furniture. It's not so good with people. <laughs> because just as there are two types of furniture, there are two types of people, right? We've all seen this. We've all known this. There are people who are fake and people who are real. People who are just worried about appearances, 
Those who are fake are, are focused on making sure that they, they look good, that they look right. They don't really care if they're loving. They just want you to think they are. They don't really care if, if, if they're friendly. They just want you to think they are. You see this sometimes in, in sales books or success books. You know, you get advice. And, and you can do this and it can be okay. But, but sometimes you'll get the advice. You know, use somebody's name a lot in conversation. They'll feel like they're your friend. If you're only doing it so you can get a sale, that's fake. Now, if you do it because you genuinely care about them, but, but again, for a, a lot of us, the temptation is just to, to focus on appearance, to not worry as much about character. People who are real focus on character. They don't worry as much about appearance. They worry more about saying, I want, I want to just not look good. I want to actually be good. I don't want to just, I just want to look like I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who's, you know, caring. I want to be somebody who's caring. I want it to be genuine. I want it to deep, be deep. And so, again, fake people, what you see is not what you get. For real people, what you see is what you get. And it's true all the way through. The question for each of us this morning is one basic question, and, and it's an important one and a really difficult one. And, and I want all of us to think about, am I real? Not me, but you, or each and every one of us individually. Am I, what kind of a person am I? am I? Am I real or am I just faking it, and especially when it comes to my Christian faith? Is my Christian faith for real? Do I genuinely love others? Do I genuinely serve others? Does my heart match my actions, or am I just trying to pretend the fact is, for religious people, it is amazingly easy. It is amazingly easy for us to focus on the externals more than the internals. It's a lot easier to put a Bible on my desk at work than to actually love my neighbor. It's a lot easier to wear a little lapel pin flag or something than it is to, to, to actually serve and care for my neighbor. We, we have all sorts of ways, right, to, to, to work on the externals. People will know I'm a Christian because I don't cut my grass on Sunday. People will know I'm a Christian because I would never be seen walking into an R-rated movie. If I'm out of town, it's fine. <laughs> but I would never be seen walking into an R-rated movie. Some of you are old enough to remember the old, again, it's, it's, it's such a classic. But when, when in the old days we used to do communion at real wine, there would always be a few of the primarily ladies who would take the wine and then, oh, 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 gosh, oh. Well, the alcohol never touches these lips. Oh, oh, oh. And it was like, seriously, seriously, right? We all know Christians who do that. They're really good at, at, at looking good and looking holy, but inside they are, and it's sometimes we, we are just as selfish, just as self-centered as anybody else. This is not a new phenomenon, okay? This is not something that hasn't been going on really from the beginning, there were certainly a lot of people in Jesus' day. Some of the religious leaders were absolute experts in, in putting on appearances. They were so good at it. They were focused on, uh, they wore robes, they wore tassels, they wore a variety of things to say to people, we are holy, we are loved by God, we are good, we are the ones with whom God is pleased. And they had all of these external things going on. And, and they and Jesus did not get along very well. Because Jesus doesn't have a lot of room for hypocrites in his world. Jesus gets into the heart of the matter. And, and, and Jesus would be frustrated with them because they would be just concerned about appearance and they wouldn't be loving the people around them. They wouldn't be caring about that. They'd worry about their rules that were easy to follow and, 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 and their upsetness with all those sinners out there. That, and Jesus got frustrated with them and they got frustrated with Jesus because Jesus was spending time with people he shouldn't have been spending time with. He was, he was hanging out with people and that gave a bad appearance 
You're going you're gonna to lead people astray, Jesus. You don't look very holy, Jesus. And so they're worried about the outside. He's worried about the inside. And they're constantly in conflict. And one of those conflicts led to the parable that Caitlin read just a minute ago for us. Matthew 21, it says this. Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, he's there with a group of folks in the temple. He's teaching. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. They come over and they have a question for Jesus. By what authority? By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Now, that word authority is, is a specific term. In, in some ways, if you know what the term ordination means, right? I'm an ordained minister. That means I've been set aside. I've been recognized, right? In some ways, authority, the Hebrew word is shmicha, or the Aramaic word shmicha. It, it, it's it's by, by whose ordination are you doing these things? What are your credentials is basically the question. Where did you go to school and who gave you this? You couldn't teach unless you had some authority. Somebody had to recognize you. Somebody had to say, I declare that person had authority. So I could say, well, it was Gamaliel who told me. I've been declared a disciple and a rabbi by Gamaliel, or it was this person, or it was that person. I graduated from Calvin Seminary. I graduated from Fuller Seminary. I have the right credentials, right? And so they're saying, Jesus, where are your credentials? Again, outside, inside. They didn't care if what Jesus said was true. They didn't care if what Jesus was teaching was important or right. What they cared about is you don't have the right credentials. You don't have the right, the, the right diploma on your wall. And, and so we think you need to be quiet. Jesus answers them. And he says, uh, I'll ask you one question. You answer me, I'll answer you. <laughs> I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, John the Baptist, who had been leading the way to Jesus, who had called people to repentance, to be baptized, to confess their sins, to admit their brokenness. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it of human origin? And Jesus knows the, disciple, or the, the, the chief priests and the, the, the religious leaders are in trouble because if they say, well, it was from heaven, then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you go be baptized? If they say, well, it's just human origin, then the people are going to be upset because the people loved John the Baptist. And so they do what we often do in a situation like that. They punted. They said, Duh, we don't know. We don't know. And Jesus said, fine. I'm not going to answer your question either. Neither will I tell you by what authority, Shmicha, I am doing these things. So Jesus is there. They have this little conflict. And the chief priests and, and the religious leaders, the elders of the people, they, they turn around they start heading away. And, and Jesus, again, picture him talking to this group here. They're sitting down. He's standing or whatever. He's sitting and they're standing. But he, he says, oh, by the way, kind of a Colombo thing for old people, one more thing. What do you think? Got a question to ask you. There was a man. He had two sons. He had two sons. He went to the first. And this first son was a bit of a troublemaker. Let me just tell you that up front. This was the son who, who always said no. This was the son who had to blaze his own trail. This was the son who did not listen to his father very well. Son, I need you to go out and work today in the vineyard. It must not have been an everyday occurrence. Must have been an order to fill. Must have been something going on at the vineyard. Son, I need you to get out there today. And I imagine this son, he wouldn't have actually done it this way, but I imagine this son, maybe I've had one or two look like this, but just sort of look at dad. Pull out his pack of cigarettes. Tap it on the table twice. Pull one out. Light up. Perfect smoke ring. 
Uh, Dad, it ain't happening. I'm not going. <laughs> you see, me and Bambi, his girl, me and Bambi, you're always proud when her name is Bambi. <laughs> I hope we have no Bambis here. I love you. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to take the Harley, go up the coast. She wants to get her belly button pierced. So I got plans, Dad. It ain't happening, man. And he blows a smoke ring and says, I will not. And the Harley roars off. A little bit of tension. Younger son comes in. He's wearing his khakis and his button down. And he sits at the table and the father goes to him and says, I need you out in the field today. And this is the good son. This is the son who is obedient. This is the son who colors inside the lines. This is the son who gets good grades. This is the son who does the right thing. And says, yes, sir, I will, sir. I will do that right away. It's an honor, Dad. It's an honor that you asked me to work in the fields. I am proud to be there. And he had a look in his eye that said, I'm just so sorry that parents as wonderful you as has a son like my brother. I'm just so sorry that he's that way. But let me go change, Dad. I'll meet you at work. Dad heads to work, and this funny things happens on the way to the vineyard, right? The older son is riding his Harley, Bambi's hanging on, and something happens. Whether he realizes I've been a jerk, that just isn't fair to Dad. Dad's always been good. Whether he realizes this road is not going anywhere, whatever it is, something happens, and he just says, you know what, I've got to go back. I, I, I want to go back. I want to be where Dad wants me to be. I wanna, I wanna, I'll, I'll do that. And so he turns around, drops Bambi off. She's not happy, but he drops her off, heads to the field. He... He takes a few smoke breaks during the day. Maybe tells a joke that's a little bit questionable at noon. But he's there. And he's working. The other son went in to change his clothes and never came out. It's 10 o'clock and he's not there. It's noon and he's not there. It's 3 o'clock and he's not there. It's, it's closing time and he's not there. Just never showed up. And Jesus looks at the crowd, looks at us, looks at those chief priests. says, which of the two? Which one did what his father wanted? And it's obvious, right? I mean, we may not like the, the smoker. We may not like the language. We may not like that. But the fact is, at the end of the day, he was doing what the father wanted. At the end of the day, he was out in the fields. At the end of the day, when the rubber hit the road, he was doing what God called him to do, what his father called him to do. And that second son, I just, I'm sorry, but the word weasel kept coming to mind all week, right? He's just slick, and you just don't like him very much. The first, they said. Jesus said, bingo! And they knew what he was saying. You're just like that first son, or the second son, rather. You have been saying yes to God with your words all the time. Your lips have been saying, oh, God, yes, we love you. You wear your, your phylacteries. You wear your robes. You wear this. You go to all your prayers. You're seen publicly doing all of your religious acts. You are saying, oh, God, we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But in reality, you're not doing what God's calling you to do. You're not living the way God's called. You're not loving. You're not serving. You're not caring. You're only filled with selfishness. Your religion is a veneer. It's only skin deep. It's not real. That's why the tax collectors and prostitutes, Jesus says, that's why they're getting into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because when John the Baptist came, they, they recognized that their road was going nowhere. They recognized it, and they repented. 
John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, the way of repentance, the way of a broken and contrite heart. God came, John came to you and he called you to that. But you didn't believe him. They did. They did and they turned their lives around. And they started to love, to serve. And they might not have had all the little details right. They might not have had all the externals right. They cared people deeply about the last and the least and the lost, and they loved. And they put others ahead of themselves. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe, John. So why should I tell you where my authority is? Again, the question is, am I for real? Are you for real? Or are you just settling for the surface? The story has three things for us, and then we're going to close real quick with four, four quick steps you can do. But first of all, it's got a warning, a word of hope, and some good news. The warning is obvious. We must ask ourselves if we are indeed saying yes to God with our lips and no to God with our lives. It is really easy for those of us who are raised in religious homes and live in a religious community. I know what looks good. I know what impresses you. And one of the questions I have to ask myself, do I want to be loving or do I just want to look it? Do I want to be a genuinely caring person? Do I really want to put others first or do I just want you to think I do? Is it deeper than skin deep? Is it genuine? Now again, none of us ever get beyond hypocrisy fully. But is it my passion to say I'm going to, I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing? It's where, the, the, again, the, the religious leaders had so much problem. Jesus goes on, and, and I think this is interesting and important for us to recognize. The harshest words Jesus spoke were not to the greatest sinners. The harshest words Jesus spoke were to the religious community. The, the nastiest words Jesus spoke were to pastors and elders and religious leaders. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Matthew 23, and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin. I mean, they're out there, they're doing this little thing, and I'm sure they made a big deal about saying, yes, I uh, got all that I have is yours. Take my life and let it be. Here's the mint and the dill and the cumin, and here's 10% of this, and here's 10% of that. But, but Jesus says, you know, you do that, but you reject the major matters, the important matters of the law. You don't seek justice or mercy or faithfulness. You don't care for the lost, the least, the last, the broken. You don't serve, you, you take. You should have practiced the latter. You should have done this and not neglected. It's okay. You can have your Bible on your desk. You can wear your cross lapel pin. But just don't think that's what makes you a, a, a disciple. Jesus never said they'll know you're my disciples by the Bible on your desk. He said by the love you show, right? So use your Bible and work. I don't, but make sure you're seeking justice and mercy faithfulness two verses later woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites you clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence you look great but inside you look rotten blind pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside will also be clean this is a challenge right this is a strong word of warning Am I just skin deep? Do I genuinely want to not just look good, but be good? 
It's a word of warning. It's a word of hope. It's a word of hope because it reminds us that no matter how bad we've been, how much we've rejected God, we can still go home. God's grace is still available to us. I imagine what it was like for that older son, that first son, as he pulls a Harley into the parking lot. Think about it. I mean, he can imagine a scenario, and and the father would have had every right to say, buddy, you're done. I'm keeping the Harley because I paid for it. Go walk someplace, and don't don't go to my house because you have chosen to leave. He could have expected that. I mean, and if we're honest about it, when we come home to the father, there are times when we have to wonder that he doesn't just say, who are you trying to kid? I'm so sick of you. Ron, you're so, you do the same thing again and again. And you say, oh, God, I don't ever want to do that again. And then you do it. And when we come home, there's always this little bit of fear unless we know God's heart. But there's hope, friends. There's hope for those of us who've been saying no to God, but there's also hope for us who've been saying yes only with our lips. If we're that other son, if we can get out in the field, we can jump off our little pedestal and see what lasts. And others might say, well, I thought better of you. But maybe, just maybe, it'll be the beginning of, of God really changing us from the inside out. Warning a word of hope and some good news. I say this because in talking with people who are on the road to becoming Christians or are exploring it, this is one of the concerns. God's desire, God's, God's want for you, God's desire is not for you to learn to look religious. I, I, I talk about that. Some people have been going to church. I don't want to go to, really, if I become a Christian, then I got to, like, say that this is all bad and I got to, you know, start to dress this and I got to, you know, God isn't really first and foremost concerned about those outsides. What God wants to do is, He wants us to become who he created us to become. He wants us to become who we are. He wants us to, and and, and so sometimes again people say, well, if I become a Christian, I've got to put on this facade. I've got to put on this veneer. No, you don't. You get to take off the facade. You get to be honest about who you really are, and I get to be honest about who I really am. So real quick in closing here, four kind of action steps. First of all, I just encourage you to do an honest examine of our hearts and li- examination of our hearts and lives. I mean, really take some time and just say, God, how am I doing with this? And, and I would suggest that the way to do this is to say, what comes to the surface when we are under pressure? What happens when someone bumps us? That's when I realize I'm off track. When I find myself unable to be loving, in those, it's generally easy to be loving when people are nice or when things are going my way. But when the train gets a little off the track, how do I respond? Do I respond with anger and frustration? That's when I start to know, you know, I need to pull back. I need to, I need to restore that relationship to, with God. I need to take some time. Some of you may have seen this. It's a great little prayer, but it goes like this. Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish or self-indulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a minute I'm going to have to get out of bed. Then I'm going to need a lot more help. Right, I mean, what is it like? What happens when you get bumped? What comes out? Again, you think of that furniture. It shows what's underneath what happens then? And, and again, when I find myself in those places, it's like, God, I got to get back to it. I got to get real again with you. And I got I to gotta just work harder at it. So, and that leads to the second thing, acknowledge and confess our sins and our failures. Again, the good news is when you realize that, it, it's not the end of the story. It's not just saying, I blew it. I'm, I'm, I'm broken. 
No, guess what? You say that to God. I'm broken. I've failed. And I'm sorry. And God's grace is amazing. And it's there for each and every one of us. And then I would encourage you to stop worrying about what others think. Stop worrying about trying to impress anybody. Okay? Worry about just being God's person. And people will notice what they're supposed to notice. But can't, just set yourself free from feeling like you have to make sure the neighbors think so highly of you. Don't worry about the neighbors. Be you. And, and, and just say, God, I want to be a genuinely loving person. And then, yeah, make a deep commitment to integrity. Obviously. Just, I want to be more real. Again, none of us are either completely fake or completely real. None of us are, are completely real in Christ or, or complete hypocrites. I mean, it's, it's all a mixture. It's saying, God, I want more and more to be who you want me to be. The fact is, Jesus loves us as we are. And he invites us to become, from the inside out, who he created us to be. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, this is a tough one, uh, at least for me. Um, Because I'm so good at looking good. I'm so good at having pious phrases of talking about how my devotions were so alive this morning. And how it's just so fantastic to be in worship. Father, it's good if those things are true, but Father, help me to become the person you want me to become. Help me to be real. Father, forgive me when I've failed. Fill me with your grace. and Teach me to major on the majors. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, caring for the least, the last, the lost, loving my neighbor, loving my enemy, genuinely thinking more of others than I think of myself. That's who you created me to be. That's who you created us to be. Father, help us to become exactly that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? Again, following our service, there will be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room to that side of the auditorium. If you'd like to talk with someone or pray with someone, they'll be happy to meet with you there. People of God, as you go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with you. Amen.